In five years, the United States has seen a historic burst of oil and natural gas production, easing our insatiable hunger for energy. A new drilling process called fracking has made us the world's fastest-growing energy power, on track to pass Saudi Arabia by 2020. Well, Gregory Zuckerman, who uh, I'm sure you all have seen on TV um, and uh, maybe read some of his uh, writings in the Wall Street Journal, um, Greg has uh, authored a uh, book in the past called The Greatest Trade Ever, the -the behind-the-scenes story of how John Paulson defied Wall Street and made financial history. It was a bestseller in uh, 2010, and um, he's now come up with a great book called The Frackers. And, uh, well, let's just say good morning to Greg. How are you? Hey, good morning. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. Sure. Um, I got this book uh, a while back from your agent. Uh, I uh, was extremely interested in this because uh, I live in Idaho. I grew up in the east. Uh, Of course, oil production and drilling and fracking is not new. Um, But this book really uh, discloses the... the determination of a few men who uh, have have just uh, pioneered this uh, this uh, industry. Uh, so, Greg, tell us a little bit about the fractors, and then we'll uh, we'll get into some Q and A. Sure. My book is really about why it was that a few really colorful, unlikely, odd individuals turned this country around, um, moved us towards energy independence from a desperate state, and why it wasn't. The people you would have expected. It should have been, you know, ExxonMobil or BP or one of the majors, Chevron, but it wasn't. It was a bunch of real American, resilient, um, stubborn, optimistic, headstrong kind of guys. And uh, it's their it's their stories, the drama behind the scenes of sort of how it all happened, how they pulled it off. And, you know, many of them made billions, but others blew it. Um, so it's sort of that up and down drama. Yeah. Um, well, Let's uh, let's describe to the audience uh, what a wildcat is, because we uh, reference the term wildcat in, in your book. So, what's a wildcat? So, a wildcat and wildcatter are sort of terms uh, in the industry. Basically, a wildcat well is one where people are rolling the dice and they're taking a chance, and there isn't um, clear production nearby. But a wildcatter, the uh, man or woman. Um, who believes and raises the money and convinces backers and says, hey, no, I don't care what the experts say. There's oil here or there's gas here. We're going to find it. We're going to make a lot of money. And that's what the story is about. It's about how the experts all got it wrong because they all gave up on America. Everyone was going offshore in Africa and Asia, and everyone had given up except for some stubborn wildcatters who I write about. Yeah. Um, you know, that reminds me of a, uh, well, a book and a uh, movie, There Will Be Blood. Uh, Daniel Day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, if I remember correctly, that was, uh, I think, in the teens or 20s. Um, when, when did this, uh, when did fracking or oil production start? It, and, it, and it started back east, didn't it? Well, that's the interesting thing. Um, it's all relatively recently. So, I mean, fracking actually has been going on. Well, I should just describe what fracking there is. It sounds complicated and intimidating, but it's really just the idea of pummeling rock and in this case, it's shale, which is a really tough kind of rock, pummeling it with a mixture of water and some chemicals and some sand. And the whole idea is to create create little fractures um, in the rock that allow oil and gas to escape. And you need to hydraulically fracture, or frack as we call it, 
um, this kind of rock because it's just really tough um, rock. It's called shale. Like I said, it looks a little bit like uh, they call it tombstone rock, mm-hmm. um, black and hard and compressed. And basically, we always knew there was a lot of oil and gas packed in this shale around the country, but we always figured there's no way we're going to get at it, at least not in an affordable way. And what these guys did, and it's really a story of technology, really, um, they figured out ways to get the oil and gas free by fracking. And we've been fracking since the 1950s, but only since around 1997, 1998, have we had real success in America. And that was in in Texas. It started in the Barnett area in Texas. And then from there went um, everywhere else, um, like you said, the East Coast, Pennsylvania, up up in North Dakota. They're thinking about doing it in California. But it's all very, very recent. And that's why it's a a remarkable revolution, because it shocked all the experts. And it's, it's changed everything just in a matter of a few years. Yeah. Um, you know, your book um, uh, talks a lot about a guy by the name of George Mitchell. He was a, uh, a I guess, of Greek uh, descendancy. And uh, what's what's his story? Because uh, you thread him throughout the book a little bit here. Yes. Yeah, so um, George Mitchell's the father of this revolution, father of fracking. He's a guy who, as you suggested, he's a son of an immigrant. And there are a lot of uh, immigrants and children of immigrants in my book. It's a very American book in a lot of ways. Uh, George Mitchell had a company doing natural gas, and they were running out of natural gas in Texas, and this was sort of the 1980s and early 1990s. And the only shot he had at keeping his company going was um, was by finding a way to get oil or gas, in this case, from shale, this area in Texas, because he didn't have acreage you know, in Africa and Asia like Exxon and Chevron or offshore. He had Texas. So he told his guys, hey, we got to make it work. we got to find a way to get natural gas out of the shale rock in this area in Texas. And for years it didn't work. They started on in the early 1980s. And by 1997, he had cancer, and his, he was around 80, and his wife had early signs of Alzheimer's, and the stock had fallen. And his own era parent was given up on it and was undermining what they were doing. But a few stubborn guys within the company, and I write about them and how they did it, they found a way, and some of it was by luck and some of it by skill. They found a way to get a good amount of natural gas out of this rock, and it changed their company, but it really changed the country and really the world. Sure. Um, what are the pros and cons, Greg? I mean, uh, <clears throat> I've been out in Idaho for 20-plus years. I've, I've seen uh, you know the economic uh, impact out here. Um, now we've got a uh, – now we've got in Wyoming and Montana, I guess, we've got some – just outrageous uh, um, uh, money being made uh, uh, with oil production and fracking. And um, I know there's a lot of pros and cons. Um, I know that out here we look at uh, land reclamation as an important factor after somebody comes in and digs up phosphate mining or, 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 you know, other kinds of uh, mineral mining out here. So what's what's the concern about this is, is... you know, is, is is this type of uh, industry a a threat to the big companies? Is it going to uh, have any direct economic impact? Um, any kind of prosperity in the near future for the United States? Well, there are a lot of pros and a lot of cons. I'll go through the pros first. Um, there are all kinds of jobs being created all over the country. Um, both in the energy business, but also there are ripple effects. Let's say like there, are chemi- there are chemical companies and tire companies and all kinds of manufacturers moving back to America, sort of a reshoring because natural gas prices are so cheap, and they're so cheap because we've found so much natural gas uh, over the last few years thanks to the frackers. So we've got jobs being created. The economy is being helped. Um, 
we all pay lower natural gas prices than we would otherwise had they not found all this natural gas in the last few years. So uh, Asia and Asia and Europe, they pay about a half to, a, to a two-thirds more than we do right now. Um, and there are also environmental benefits, believe it or not. Um, we've shifted away from coal, at least at the margin. So we use more natural gas as a result, and that's better for the environment, for the air. Carbon dioxide emissions have dropped. Um, but there are all kinds of negatives as well. The fabric of communities has been changed um, because all of a sudden a little town, a sleepy town, one stoplight, often a lot of these places I've visited around the country, um, now is a lot of traffic from, from trucks and from other people moving to town and to drill. And you wonder how long it's going to last. Um, I think it's going to last many more years, but one is never sure. Then if uh, there's an inevitable bust, you know, what happens to these towns? And um, if you own homes and own land in these towns, you're generally very happy. Your your land has appreciated value. Some people have been able to stay in their farms and, and homes thanks to the royalties they get from the oil and gas drillers. So that's been really helpful. But if you don't own your own land, if you rent, I've been in places like North Dakota where rents have soared and people are upset and there's more crime just, just because more people come to town by definition, more people, more crime, um, and just sort of busy, louder, and noisy in, in any kind of industrial. It's industrial activity. So it does um, change the fabric of communities. It's, it's added jobs. Um, it's allowed people to stay in homes and farms, but it's also changed things uh, in a more negative way as well. And then there's also the environmental issues. And I write about them in my book, and they're not as worrisome as um, as people make them out to be, but they're still um, um, troublesome in, some, in uh, some instances. And methane leakage to me is among the biggest issues when you produce uh, natural gas and oil. Um, and when you ship it, often methane escapes, and that's a, a greenhouse gas and a not good for a climate change. And they're talking about improving how much methane escapes, but I'm a little concerned and wary of that. Hmm. Well, it's also got to impact the uh, groundwater capability. Um, uh, I've been hearing stories about uh, uh, these small communities, towns, farm owners that, that um, uh, are are adjacent but below these mines. So when when you get in there and and uh, start the fracking process you've got uh you've got uh residual uh minerals and chemicals they're they're going downstream and it seems like this could be a huge concern if we don't uh figure out a way to divert this um is that a problem for these uh, small communities and farmers? Uh, it's not a tremendous problem. Hmm. Um, they a lot of the waste that comes back, they capture it and they ship it off and they hmm. reinject it elsewhere. Um, that causes some tremors in other parts of the country, and um, that's something they have to improve on. Um, but they there are instances, and I write about in my book where. Um, Water quality isn't great around a lot of these sites. The problem is it's hard to tell what the reasoning is, why it is the way it is, because they test sometimes before, and it wasn't great to begin with. And, you know, people have other kinds of concerns. Um, people have seen movies where you light um, a match to a sink, They'll turn on the sink, the water comes out, you light a match, and, and there's a fireball. And people blame that on um, methane and escaping uh, from the fracking process. Uh, although, as I write in my book, the truth of the matter is it's almost never due to oil and gas drilling. It just so happens that in parts of this country there actually is methane, which is, won't kill you, um, in people's water um, naturally. I mean, the American Native Americans used to light water on fire. There are three towns in this country called Burning Springs, um, just because uh, naturally, again, the the, the um, 
the gas gets into methane gets into the water. So um, there are concerns, and there are all kinds of times. My, my biggest issue is that too often the oil and gas companies um, don't have have leaks, um, spills, but also just the um, the casing around the wells um, can be faulty, and they go on and they improve it, and they've gotten better at it. But too often it, it leaks, and that leads to problems. So there's nothing inherent in hydraulic hydraulic fracturing or in this whole energy revolution that that um, has to be harmful. If you talk to people like the Environmental Defense Fund, but it's not to say that it is being done properly. So we need to put a little more pressure on the oil and gas companies to make sure they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking uh, in the middle of your book. You've got um... You've got a uh, map of the United States where you are defining uh, uh, large quantity, significant oil and gas shale formations, and it looks like looks like the East Coast has a ton. Um, and then we get into uh, northern, central, and northern Texas, uh, Oklahoma, um, and then of course uh, North Dakota. So. Have we exhausted? Uh, obviously, we haven't exhausted these these areas. Where where's the industry going? Are they are they going east? Are they staying Midwest? Uh, are they always looking for new formations? Um, how does that work? The so the one that you refer to is the Marcellus um, shell formation, and that is in places mm. like Pennsylvania, and mm-hmm. it reaches up to New York, although they're not really producing anything in New York yet. Uh, and it's just huge. I mean, it's one of the top five in the world, and it's a remarkable uh, amount of natural gas. And it's just, again, over the last few years, I mean, 2007, people were skeptical there was much there. And now we've got as much as uh, many uh, countries um, in just that one formation in, in again, Pen- these more east coast, Pennsylvania, New York, some other states. Um, so, yeah, so there's still got a lot more to drill there, a lot more natural gas to get out of there. But I guess the newest and hottest areas and the most controversial are places like California. So there's a, the Monterey Shale, which is also packed with oil and gas. But for good reasons, people are wary of drilling there, and they haven't really because um, of earthquake issues. Sure. Um, environmental issues. So we'll see if they get to the point where they're comfortable um, drilling and, 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 and getting much oil and gas out of the Monterey. Hmm. Okay. Let's, let's get down to some reality here. Um, uh, okay. We've known about this uh, great vast oil reserve in the United States for decades. Okay. The, the oil and gas companies, uh, uh, have known, uh, the government knows that we've got large deposits of shale and natural gas and oil that can be extracted right here locally. So <laughs> if we've got so much energy uh, to be captured, why, Greg, why are, we, why are we still dependent on foreign countries? Why, wh- what's the What's the, what's behind all this? Why aren't we doing this? Why haven't we started this earlier? What, what's what's the holdup? I mean, you as a as a reporter, you've you had to get into this book uh, to um, you know dig real deep and and find out the the uh, pathology of this business. So, what? Why why aren't we doing this more? Um, and and more importantly, why are we still dependent? Um, well, um, to address a few of your questions, it yeah. took us a while to get here because of conventional wisdom. And like in any industry, there's conventional wisdom, 
And in the energy business, it was that you can't get much oil and gas out of shale. And for good reason. It took us a while. The technology wasn't there. It's not just uh, fracking, but it's horizontal drilling, which has been developed only the last few years, really extended. Um, and they combined the two, and a revolution, a resurgence resulted. But it took a while. It takes a while. You know, people say, well, why aren't we all dependent on 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 solar and wind yet, and I say it takes a while. It took the, the Mitchell guys from 1982 to 1997 to develop the real te- the technology to unleash this revolution, and um, it's going to be the same thing with, with uh, alternatives. Give it time, and we'll get there. So it took a while for people to prove, and it took some stubborn guys who I write about in my, in my business to prove the experts wrong, that you could get a lot of oil and gas from shale. Uh, as to why we don't do more of it, well, um, many of us don't think that we should be producing on public lands. Um, the oil and gas business says we should. I would argue that um, why not reserve? We don't need it right now. Um, we don't need to be producing oil and gas everywhere, and, and let's reserve uh, public lands um, um, away as an area that we don't need to be producing. But, you know, some people in the oil and gas business would agree with you that we should be producing everywhere and anywhere. Um, and why are we still dependent? Well, we're a pretty big country, so we still consume a lot of oil and gas. We're not quite at the point where we're energy independent, but we're getting there. Um, I don't think we're actually ever be energy independent per se, but I call it energy secure, meaning that we'll be dependent just on our friends uh, like Mexico and Canada. And we won't be as dependent on the Middle East. I mean, we only get about 7% of our crude from the Middle East right now. And that's, uh, you know, remarkable and and improvements. We don't have to send as much money to people we don't like as much. Um, We won't share it as much with Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, et cetera. We can keep that money here. Mm. So, Why'd you write this book, Greg? I mean, uh, why, why this? Uh, why, why'd you get into this, and what'd you hope to find when you started researching this industry? Well, I'm a uh, business writer, and I look for big shifts and big revolutions. And to me, this is the most important thing going on in the business world because it impacts everything. It impacts geopolitics. I mean, our our um, our issues with Russia right now, um, oil and gas is going to help, and it's going to be a card we can play because we're going to start uh, exporting next year natural gas. Um, and there's going to be more of that coming. And if we can take away some of Russia's market share in Europe, uh, alleviate some of the issues there, come to the rescue of some of our friends in Europe, that's going to change everything. So to me, this energy revolution has impacted everything, the economy, individuals, the environment, etc. So it's a meaty topic, sounded interesting. And also there are characters. I mean, the people involved, um, it's like the movie Dallas um, or the television show Dallas. Um, it's got interesting characters. Some of them you're going to like. Some of them you're going to hate. Um, some made billions. Some some mm-hmm. lost billions. But there are a lot of interesting uh, people involved in this revolution or behind this revolution, and they're not the pioneers, not the people you would have expected. Again. I thought, oh, you know, Exxon and Chevron, et cetera. But none of those guys, they all miss us completely. And it was a bunch of odd, stubborn, colorful wildcatters who I write about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, um, I, I really enjoy your style. Um, I I do a lot of interviews with uh, historical uh, biographers and uh, thriller writers. And um, what I liked about your book was it, it was pretty darn easy to understand, number one. I mean, you organize this very, very well. And uh, it actually brought to light, uh, you know, some issues that uh, we struggle with out here in the West. You know, um, we're in a little town in Idaho. We don't we don't get out there much. So th- yeah. this has been actually refreshing 
Uh, it was a good book, man. It was a good Thank book. you. You know, I wrote it sort of with my wife in mind, who doesn't know anything about energy. <laughs> and uh, I, wanted, I thought it was a topic that the average guy should should hear about because it's not – you can write it in a, you know, a boring way about technically how do you hydraulically fracture. And some right. people in the industry said, oh, I would have liked a book to, to explain you know, the ins and outs technically. And you know, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell the story, the interesting people. They're, it's a real American book. It gives you a little bit, to me anyway, a little reassurance about the, con- the, con- the, the future of this country because you know, here on the East Coast in New York area – People are discouraged. Young kids come out of college. They have a lot of debt. They can't even get internships, let alone jobs. Then you you travel to places like North Dakota and Pennsylvania and and Texas, and you see young people getting really good jobs and making money and um, innovation and resilience to this country. So in a lot of ways, it's really very reassuring about the country. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We do have a a generation coming up um, that is extremely bright and innovative and uh, that's kind of exciting for me. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. I'm 60. Uh, you're in, what, your late 40s or something? Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So you're you're doing it. I mean, you see it. Um, by the way, um, you live in New Jersey, right? I do. All right. I do. You're a Yankee fan, I, I, I see also. <laughs> yeah, I do. A little worried about this year, but uh, I, I, I'm not dumping them now. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so, so, Greg, okay, um, uh, you know, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty, um, uh, diverse, um, in, in style and in interest. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I get why you did what you did. Uh, I get why you wrote this book. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but, but tell me, uh, what do you like to do for fun, man? Um, you know, we all work hard and we all got a lot on our plate, but, uh, how do you, how do you calm down? How do you? What do you do to enjoy life? Because this uh, this this must take up an extremely amount, uh, long amount of time. Uh, yeah, I kind of destroyed myself on <laughs> this book. I was up till <laughs> two, three a.m. every night. But uh, and it was a passion, quite frankly. I love it, love it, and and I find it fascinating. But I've got two boys that keep me busy. I coach soccer, play ball with them whenever I have a minute. My son wants me to to pitch to him or, or, or throw to him. Uh, so they keep me busy, and I play a little softball on Sundays in the summer, and, uh, uh, you know, I stay with my family most of the time. Um, I'm a family guy. Yeah, cool. Uh, very cool. <laughs> well, well um, it, it, Greg, it was great. Um, sure. We're, uh, um, I'd like you to hang on one, one second after we say goodbye, but, uh, folks, um, uh, we'll have uh, Greg Zuckerman and his uh, review of the Fractors on the uh, new billionaire wildcat story um great book easy to read and uh, like greg said um this is a book for the uh, for the average person uh, a lot of people especially in rural communities um you know we're not uh, privy to uh everything that's out there this is this has been an eye opener for me and uh yeah i liked it it was very good um yeah sure i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah greg thank you very much for joining us today and uh sure We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Okay. Have a great day.